Hey, it's Christy. And it's Scott from Old Timey Crimey. We just wanted to make sure that you knew about our giveaway. We are offering up a t-shirt with a limerick of your own creation. It's got to be about Dr. Crippen, and it's got to be better than Naughty Boy Ships Ahoy. Naughty Boy Ships Ahoy. Come on, you know you can do better than that. So... Submit your limerick on iTunes with a five-star review by... For the love of God, keep it PG-13. Yes, thank you. Keep it PG-13 or under Amber. Um, By May 16th, um, the vote will start on Facebook, a public vote um, for the top three from midnight on May 17th until noon on May 20th. That's on our Facebook group, Old Timey Crimey. Uh, and then Scott and I will choose the winner. Uh, so possibly we, out of a hat, I think. We are your gods. Yes. We will choose whoever the fuck we feel like. Out of the continental U.S. only, please. <laughs> so thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And enjoy the episode. See ya. Bye. Some say it was bandits. Some say it was French spies. Some say it was aliens or interdimensional travel. But no matter what your theory, in November 1809, diplomat Benjamin Bathurst disappeared and was never seen again. Y'all listening to Old Timey Crimey, crimes from the golden age of yesteryear. Now, here's your host, Christy and Scott. So, this is Old Timey Crimey. I'm Christy. I'm Scott. How was your week, bud? Um, my week's been okay. It's uh, finally the end of the semester. Today was the last day, and I just have to grade a whole stack of papers tomorrow, and then I'm done. Yay! And it's all podcasting and all writing and editing for the next... Four months. Oh, man. I am jealous. I wish it could be all podcasting and editing <laughs> yeah. for me for the next four months. I'm going to I'm gonna have so much more research done. It's going to be, like, just giant. Like, this whole room will be filled with papers. Like, it's already frightening how, how well you research oh, stuff. Oh, thank you. You are, like, a little research ninja. Like, coming <laughs> in the... Like, just... I picture you just, like... Uh, like a library and like a rope drops down from the ceiling at 1 a.m. and just you slide down it upside down. <laughs> I didn't know this was my dream until this moment. Yeah. You have just verbalized how I would love to actually see myself. And now every week when I sit down to research, I'm going to imagine me, you know, in the, the all black costume, you know, sliding down that rope, Mission Impossible style, exactly. into a giant, beautiful Beauty and the Beast style library. There it is. There it is. I don't have the Beauty and the Beast style library in my house, but I am happy that I have a library in my house. My library is two bookshelves out here uh, in the living room. And then uh, some books onto my desk. But they're big bookshelves. They're very tall. They hold a lot of books. I have, let me think here. Gonna make me jealous. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight bookcases that are almost filled in my library. I am very jealous. Along along with two drum sets. Because it's my library. I'll play drums in it if I want. Don't you shush me, you bitch. Uh, <laughs> and uh, 
Yeah. I, I, just, I just I just felt Barb cringing. <laughs> a little bit. We have a friend who's a librarian. A uh, little bit, just a little bit of Barb cringe in there. <laughs> hey, Barb, how you doing? Hi, Barb. Um, but yeah, yeah, I love having my own library, and it's it's got the chandelier coming down oh my from the God. top of the room, and it is it's awesome. It is awesome having a library. I've always wanted a library. You can come borrow mine. I will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely will. You invite me to a library, I'm a coming. I don't know if you'd like the books that I have, though. It's mostly pornography. No, no. <laughs> Different library than I dreamt of. It's called the Masturbatorium. No, it's <laughs> most of the books. There's there's a little bit of everything in there, but there's a lot of like paranormal stuff yeah. that's in there. I've got like a whole section of that's just the paranormal and stuff. But then a lot of it's like humor. I've got all the uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books. I've, oh, nice. Yeah, even even the ones that Douglas Adams didn't write. Um. Eon Cooper wrote uh, wrote one or two, I believe. There were follow-ups after Douglas Adams died. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of Bill the Galactic Hero. No. Oh my. You need if you like if you like uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. You're gonna like Bill the Galactic Hero. It's kind of hitchhiker esque, told from an American point of view. It's it's about this kid who is a farmer and he's just dumb as a bag of hammers and he ends up being drafted into the empire oh my god and he's on a spaceship so during during this one war he gets his arm blown off and he uh he they say he's lucky but he wants his best friend's arm who died and the only thing that was left of him was his arm the problem was bill lost his left arm and the only thing left of his buddy is his right arm. So this guy has two right arms. <laughs> One of them's black. He's white. Oh my god. And, oh my god. And then each novel he ends up losing a foot. And instead of them grafting a foot on, they have to replace it with a prosthesis. Because whenever the Empire went over to the metric system, there's a big mistake whenever they say get rid of all the feet. And <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Bill the Galactic Hero, Harry Harrison, wonderful novels. Absolutely, I'll have to take a look at those, especially I'll have more time for reading now. I can actually read books, oh my god, and not papers. (gasps) So how's your week going? My week's been okay. I, I started the shift that I really wanted. I got the overnight shift at my job. I still don't like my job, <laughs> but I like it better. It actually allowed me to do a lot more research than I usually do, mm-hmm. because who's calling about their cable TV at 3 a.m.? Not many people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I had like 40 minutes between calls to, to kind of take care of stuff. Um, but no, my dream is still this. I love doing this. I mm-hmm. love being here. And it's just... <laughs> On the comfy carpet. Yeah. Oh my God. You have no idea. We're on carpet right now. This is the this is the podcasting carpet that I bought specifically for the the, the room that is for about two weeks out of the year a guest room for four months out of the or not four months for probably two months out of the year a frog room and then the rest of the time it's it's the podcasting room. Yeah. So every Thursday. Every Thursday is the podcasting room. The oh. frogs are gonna have to leave. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I did. Um, our mascot. Oh. My mom gave me this this sloth that. Uh, 
<laughs> makes a noise that is in no way <laughs> resembles the noise a sloth makes. But uh, I was I was just thinking, I was doing some cleaning up today, and I was like, what could I do with this sloth? I was like, no, this could be our little mascot. Yeah. He can sit here and watch us, ensconced in the, the notes of weeks gone by as they pile up there. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm so, naming him... <laughs> that's a great name. That's pretty much perfect. I have a, I have a stuffed hedgehog that I named... <laughs> <laughs> really, uh, really big on those uh, onomatopoeic no- uh, names. It, it was a thing where whenever we got the stuffed hedgehog, he was adorable. And I had a horrible sore throat. I mean, really bad. It was a sore throat and I had tonsil stones on top of it that oh, I couldn't no. get out because of oh. how sore my throat was. So... my She was my wife at the time. We're going through the second hand shop and there sits this this adorable little like stuffed hedgehog mm-hmm. and I picked it up and I just started like like goofing around with it not making any noises and and Tracy starts laughing and stuff and we were having a great time and she goes what's his name and I'm like <clears throat> that's pretty much the only sound I could make at that point so that became his name my hedgehog <clears throat> I love it <laughs> I this is sad it is. Everybody, yeah. everybody deserves to have a definite time of death. Yes. You know, and that's, it's kind of weird. It's... And cause. Yeah, cause. <laughs> and, and just, and people deserve to know what happens to their loved ones. You know, yeah. that, that, that lack of knowledge, I feel, is very, it must be haunting to have to live with that and just the constant questions and wondering and, and you know, it's different scenarios going through your mind. It must be just a, just an awful way to live. It's absolutely. It's, I, I know for a fact this drives some, some people to insanity, mm-hmm. not knowing what happened to their loved ones. We're, of course, talking about Benjamin Bathurst. Um, and I say, of course, because let's face it, 99% of the people listening to this right now, they don't know who Benjamin Bathurst was. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't until you, you picked it for a show topic. And yeah, <laughs> then ben- I looked up the Wikipedia article and saw the word pantaloons. I was like, I'm in. Well, there we go. <laughs> so Benjamin Bathurst was, he was just south of royalty. Yeah. Yeah. He was, and this guy was gifted at, what, 14, 15? He's out there making diplomatic deals. I think it was maybe a little bit, a little bit later. Maybe seventeen. Yeah, a little. I can't remember the exact year that he started, but um, oh, I have his. Uh, yeah, but it was pretty, pretty early. Yeah. Um, I know that he uh, he got the. Oh, my notes are all like scattered. Um, he got the deal with uh, Austria in eighteen o. Uh, well, actually, eighteen um, o five. 1804, he was, uh, when he started. So okay. he was about 20. About 20. But still, that's that's so early. I mean, you had plenty of other, you know, young, you know, nobility or close to nobility doing this, the same thing. But, uh, but yeah, he got in, he got in, um, pretty much just in time, actually, because, uh, he got in 1804, and then Napoleon started his conquest of Europe, uh, or, you know, it was starting to be successful, mm. um, in 1805 to 1807, and during that time, there were a lot of embassies that were closed because Napoleon was closing them and, you know, kicking the diplomats out. So, you know, he, he got in right under the yeah. wire. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden, you know, in 1808, 1809, there's a, just a ton, just a deluge of, 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 you know, wandering diplomats, I guess, with no post. So, yeah, I guess he, he did consider himself kind of lucky to get the, 
the Austria gig. Absolutely. Um, it, and it's it's the thing. We're not talking about a very old man. I want to drive that home. This guy was born March 18th, 1784. He was the third son of Henry Bathurst, the Bishop of Norwich. I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> yeah. Right? His mother was Grace Cookty. Do I have that right? Cookty? Cooked? How is it spelled? C-O-O-K-T-E. I would go with Cookty. Cookty. Cooked. Cookty. But yeah, he enters the diplomatic service at a wicked young age. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, and it's weird. Like, the age of 20, like, we're not... Uh, us in America don't really have our shit together until 40. Yeah. <laughs> like, 30, yeah. 30, we have it all in a big little pile. Mm-hmm. A, a big little pile. A big little pile, a big, yeah. A big little pile. <laughs> We have it together, but then 40 is where we start to get it together, really get it together and get our shit on. This guy seems to have it together from the age of 10. Well, I mean, a lot of family connections helped with that. A lot of family connections. Um, There was, uh, actually, he was, uh, it was a friend of William Pitt, um, who through uh, the... Bishop of Norwich, mm-hmm. his, his um, Bathurst dad, got him his his first uh, minor position, or you know, got him his position at the Vienna Embassy. How you doing, Pittsburgh? Yeah. <laughs> I was sitting in my office mm-hmm. on a Pitt satellite campus while I was writing that down. I was like, this feels oddly ironic. Yeah, <laughs> like, so, so yeah, he those those connections. We we'll see this a little bit more. Um, I have a really weird one between uh, Mrs. Bathurst and Napoleon that'll that'll knock your socks off uh, later on. But but yeah, we see these these connections here and there, and it seems like you know very much um, you know someone who knows someone who knows someone who maybe also knows someone, and and that's this networking seemed to be to the extreme, like even even more than than we see it here. So it's definitely um, you know it was who you know. Yeah. Um, and, and let's face it, Emilio Estevez wouldn't be famous today if it wasn't for, for Martin Sheen. It's I mean, who you know. It's, it's pretty good. I mean, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's no Charlie Sheen. <laughs> well, who among us is? Come on. I, I love Charlie Sheen. <laughs> Old Benjamin, though, he's promoted to secretary of the British legation at Livorno. Yeah. Yay! I want that on a business card. <laughs> yeah. Maybe two that you have to tape together side by side to handle an accordion out. That is, that is a title. That is a title. It's, I, I love those super long titles that they give royalty. Oh my gosh. I know they're, they're, they're so, they're so important and puffed up Mm -hmm. and, and long. I love, like, I love words like baronetcy and, and, you know, Marquette, Marquette, Marchez. I, I, I don't know. I know. There's a, there's a lot of good ones, is what Absol- I'm saying. Absolutely. And honestly, I think that might have what done old Benjamin in in the long run was the desire to have that that portmanteau, that name, that long name. Um, but we'll get to that. Yeah, um, he was an ambitious guy. Um, and this, some people were surprised that he got the, the Vienna job um, because Vienna actually, when, when they made a little... Uh, deal with Britain. It wasn't going to be an alliance. It was sort of a, a quote-unquote tepid association with Britain and Austria. Um, so they needed to exchange emissaries. Well, Britain, or sorry, Austria sent somebody who I couldn't really find much information on, but uh, he's got 
Either his first name is Prince or he's a prince. <laughs> Couldn't it be both? It could be. I guess then it would be Prince Prince, wouldn't it? Prince Prince. Yeah, and it's just it's just Prince. Uh, prince. But eventually, <laughs> King Prince. You know, once the sad day that that his father dies, King Prince. Yeah. Oh gosh, King King Prince. Yes. Um, Which sounds like what you use to track down a king through the woods. I found King Prince over there. <laughs> There's another King Prince over there. I sent the dog. You can tell they're extra deep. Heavy's the head that wears the crown. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't find much information on this guy. Um, his name is Prince Ludwig Starenberg. And uh, just a little quick sidetrack, when I did try to look him up, I found some other Starenbergs with some fantastic names. Oh, hit me with them. My body is ready. Maximilian Lorenz Starenberg. Yeah. Gundaker Thomas Starenberg. Bohunka Starenberg. That's my new gay porn name. Are you ready? Uh-huh. No, no, no. Are you ready? Uh, okay, I'm bracing myself. You cannot possibly be ready. Guido yes! Starenberg. Yes! <laughs> I actually Gui had to take a screenshot of that. And then, of course, later on, we had Fanny von Starenberg. Um, I was just, I was just looking down this list of names. I was like, these people know how to name their kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there, there was a King Ludwig of Bavaria, and I'm just kind of wondering if he wouldn't happen to be, uh, some relation, King Ludwig. Yeah, Ludwig. Yeah, but Ludwig was his first name. Let's see here. It's the the Starenbergs that I we really need to look into that I couldn't look into too deeply because that was that was definitely a side sidetrack. That's just a tiny note in the, yeah. the voluminous file I've created here. Yeah, this dude's name was Ludwig Otto Friedrich Wilhelm. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, um, definitely. We should do like a little side thing. There's no real crime with uh, King Ludwig, except he was fucked up in the head. <laughs> Really? He was he was obsessed with fairy tales. There's nothing wrong with that. I have a podcast that just did 20 episodes on fairy tales. No, you don't understand. Uh, the dude was obsessed with fairy tales. Um, so much so that the castles that he made... These uh, I are... love castles. That's the thing. You might not know. I freaking love castles. Yeah. He made all of his castles. He bankrupted his country making castles that look like fairy tale castles oh, instead of battlements. I would do that. Did he make Neuschwanstein? I believe so. Oh, I've always loved that castle. Yeah, I believe so. Um, but I mean, this is a guy who, as a uh, as a king, would play with toy trains on the floor. And Very in touch with his inner child. He was extremely <laughs> in touch with his inner child to a Michael Jackson degree. Um... <laughs> But yeah, I was just kind of curious because, you know, all that whole thing of like, I want my sister to marry my brother's niece because royalty. <laughs> oh, look at how her teeth shut forward. How, <laughs> how attractive. And the way that her nostrils flare whenever she thinks about piping hot chocolate. <laughs> that was a bizarre sidetrack, but I enjoyed it. We, we, we went down that path and we, we went all four, all we, in. We did. So, so yeah, um, the, the funny names. Uh, so they send a prince, and so a lot of people were surprised that he's, you know, he's considered, Bathurst is considered a, a minor diplomat, um, but this, he may have been sent on this particular mission because the bigger diplomats saw it as kind of fruitless. They didn't see it as anything that they could necessarily succeed at because, you know, Vienna's and, and Austria's trying to, you know, do some 
shit that'll get them, you know, away from Napoleon or safe from Napoleon or go up against Napoleon. And a lot of places aren't going to be on board with joining in that considering that they've seen Napoleon, you know, conquer. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like they've seen what Napoleon is capable of. They're like, no, we're, we're good. We're good. You do you, mm-hmm. Austria. We'll be over here. We're going to <laughs> practice saying I surrender in French. <laughs> Uh, or Gémeron, by the way. <laughs> hey, the French don't surrender nearly as much as people say they do. I was going to say, you know, it, it's a thing where, you know, he was essentially there to encourage the Austrian emperor, Francis I, to declare war on France. And he did. Well, And he lost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there's some indications that that Britain, uh, especially like the foreign secretary, would have preferred that he not be so encouraging and not be like like so like be a little bit more impartial because you know Britain wanted to keep this you know maybe this tepid relationship maybe even wanted to cool it even down from there you know well, let's just go from room temperature to um, you know like glass of water yeah, you know nice, yeah. nice nice cold glass of water sweating on the outside maybe maybe something that the ice melted in about fifteen minutes yes. ago on a ninety degree day about that temperature yeah, yes exactly yeah. that's where we want this and. No, no more ice. No more ice. No more just ice. Drink this down. Any more ice would be a waste. So cool it with the Austrian mm-hmm. emperor. So there was a lot of uh, back and forth in this article that I read. Uh, this journal article called. I'm going to go ahead and um, source it. It's the Continental System as a Sieve: The Disappearance of Benjamin Bathurst, uh, from the International History Review in 2003, written by Neville Thompson. As told to Han Solo <laughs> in the Journal of Wills. <laughs> he shot first. Um, I think so. Alderaan shot first, quite honestly. <laughs> well, they asked for it. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're going to find some, uh, some argument there. Some very strident, nerdy arguments. So, uh, yeah, he... Uh, he goes over there, and, and I loved that, just, just little side notes from this article that I kept on writing down, uh, just offhandedly, at one point the author mentions, and in all these like little like battles and skirmishes and everything going back and forth, the Black Legion of Vengeance. Yes! My new band name! <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Swedish death metal. Yes. <laughs> That's what it is. Excellent. So, so yeah, um, he goes over there to do this, and, you know, he, he seems very, he's young, he wants to get shit done, and so he might be going a little further than his superiors want, but he's, he's trying something, at least, we can give him credit for that, he's, he's, he's trying and he's going all in, whether or not it's what, you know, the, the higher-ups right. are, are, are asking for. He, he does, like I said, he does an incredible job, he encourages Francis I, go to war! Go to war with France. Maybe he shouldn't have, though. I know he shouldn't have, because Austria was defeated by France, and they were defeated badly. In July of 1809, the Battle of Wagram, Napoleon just fucking cleaned house. He just, it was a bloodbath. Mm -hmm. Um, Even vicious by Napoleon standards. Yeah. Yeah. Napoleon was a dick. He, there's just no two ways to put it. Napoleon was a dick. So much so that if Nostradamus, if Nostradamus was a real thing, and here's something I'm going to say, then Christie's going to have a shocked look on her face. I don't think he was. (laughs) Yes. Is that a a little little heart attack I just had? (laughs) I don't think Nostradamus had any supernatural powers whatsoever. Because if you read the little poems... They're so vague, you can read any fucking thing into them. 
the original horoscopes. Exactly, exactly. Horoscopes might have existed before Nostradamus. I don't know things. Whenever Hister takes place on the Rhine, and so, well, that means Hitler. No, it doesn't. He said Hister. <laughs> Could have been talking about, like, a half-performed hysterectomy. We don't know. So, it's, Ouch. yeah, it's this bullshit, and it's a thing where, like, Nostradamus kind of, like, it's this vague, little tiny bullshit things that you can read anything into. And maybe this name is kind of close to this name. But if he was a real thing, like Napoleon, yeah, Napoleon, he was supposedly one of the three antichrists mm-hmm. that that uh, that Nostradamus kind of foresaw. He, he didn't, though. He didn't. Listen, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you write down... 300 things that you think are going to happen, I'm going to say like 20 20 of them are going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, look at this. The prophecies of Douglas Scott Mort came true. He said that you would be ordering pizza the on the night of the 15th, whenever the electricity went out. You know, And yeah, someplace in America, some guy's going to order pizza when the electricity goes out on the 15th. Yeah. Of what month? Doesn't matter. It's just playing probability. Exactly. Exactly. It's playing the numbers. There used mm-hmm. to be a scam where they would mail you the football results. And they would go, oh, here's your, here's your winner. Uh, the Steelers are going to beat the Browns. But what they would do is they'd... They'd do like 50-50. They'd mail half the people this letter and half the people the other letter that said the Browns are going to beat the Steelers. Uh-huh. And then whenever they got down to like that 10%, that 5%, you know, oh, if you want to know who wins the Super Bowl, that'll be 150 bucks. And then the people would mail in the 150 bucks. Well, my God, they've been right all this time. Oh, my gosh. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so that was like the big scam. It was the long scam. And Nostradamus is just the kind of the, kind of the same thing. But that doesn't mean to say Napoleon's a dick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Napoleon, he... Yeah, and it seemed like uh, there's there's some weird uh, confluence after um, after Bathurst's disappearance of uh, Bathurst's wife and uh, and Napoleon. And But in the meantime, uh, you know, Bathurst's kind of pissing off his superiors. Um, Canning, I believe it's Henry Canning, I think, but I only wrote down his last name. Um, the foreign affairs secretary, like he, he, there were some notes back and forth between him and him and Bathurst and basically him rebuking Bathurst and, you know, Bathurst kind of sent like an apologetic note back and then he heard nothing in return. And that seemed to affect his, his mental state. He was actually pretty sure that his diplomatic career was over at that point. You know, you have the, the, the flood of dip, diplomats out of, out of work diplomats can you imagine the scene you know they're all like in top hats and and tails and everything and fancy outfits and brooches and everything and then they're just sitting there at lunch you know like... i say the food here at the soup kitchen is quite delightful don't you say amherst scott had a pretend monocle I there i did i did which is weird because i wear glasses on top of it you don't need a monocle even a pretend one nobody yeah. needs a pretend monocle I you know what it works though i would love to have a monocle <laughs> i wouldn't a it does seem like it would be a pain in the ass, though. It really, you know, you'd have to do yeah. that. You know, plus, you know, with my weight problem, I just look like some weird version of the penguin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no monocles. So, so yeah, actually, um, there was some, in this article that I read, it, it, it drew heavily on Mrs. Bathurst's uh, travel journals, which we should state her name. Uh, her name was Philida. 
And I haven't seen this anywhere else, but in this particular article, you should know, in parentheses after her name, they put Philadelphia. And I was like, does that mean she's from Philadelphia or that's her full name? And from all I could see about her like relatives, it seemed like she was not from America. So I, that might have actually been her full name. Philida. Philida. Maybe, maybe the little Philadelphia. Philida. I couldn't, I found no explanation for it. It was just in parentheses and then looking her up. Like it seemed that she, she seemed, you know, like not to have any real American ties that I could find. So. Do you think maybe it was, because Philadelphia, that's not somebody's name. That's Latin. That's city of brotherly love. Yeah. Philadelphia. Um, do you think maybe they had it there as like, here's how it's pronounced. Because I was kind of looking at it as like, okay, it could be Philida, it could be Philida. Oh, so you you, think, you, you, like, you you pronounce it like the first part of Philadelphia, yeah, like Philida. Okay, that's yeah. entirely possible. Yeah. So, and kinda, so it makes a lot more sense than that her name actually being Philadelphia. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I mean, a decent Tom Hanks movie, a wonderful <laughs> city, but at the same time, a stupid name for a person. Hipsters are absolutely going to start naming their children Philadelphia if just they haven't be, already. Just because. Yeah, just because. Just because. So. Or that could be a great. Okay, I take it back. It's a great pimp name. <laughs> My name is Philadelphia Sinclair. <laughs> this is not in the street checking the bitches, checking the heat. <laughs> yes, but not a great name for the wife of a, a minor diplomat. No. Philadelphia so, Sinclair. Philadelphia. <laughs> <laughs> on her business cards, checking the bitches, checking <laughs> the heat. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> Mama made me a pimp from the very first day. <laughs> get a little racist get stuff rid, in here. <laughs> get rid of the sloth. We have a new mascot. <laughs> new mascot for old-timey crimey. 1850s street pimp Philadelphia Sinclair. <laughs> 1850s street pimp. Put that on a business card. There it is. There it is. So, yeah, it seems like, from my research, Mrs. Bathurst put a lot of stock into his mental state, and I found a lot of information about his mental state that made me really question things, like a lot of information about, especially, um, you know, he's already seems like he's, he's worried about his career, and that can really drag you down, you know, mm -hmm. and it causes a lot of anxiety. And then on that journey, like once he, you know, they, they lose the battle and he has to head out, which due to, I think that the battle was lost in like what, July. It was July of, by God, I have it here. I feel good now. July of eighteen oh nine. Yes, there we, we go. Actually, used some of my research, to, <laughs> only because my research is so sparse compared to Christie's three novels that she's written here that I'm able to find the information quickly because I've got five pages and say, like, yes, yeah, the first one, July of eighteen oh nine. Ugh. It's, it's just a lot. It's, a, it's scattered, though. So, so yeah, um, it, it's funny that it took so long. He's recalled back to London, and, you know, it's not until November that, you know, they, they leave. And so he's leaving, and it seems like there's just a lot um, of bouncing back and forth between mental states. And she also, she also took a lot of it upon herself. She didn't travel with them with him as she previously had because a i'm not sure that she was allowed to and b she had uh, two infant daughters and uh she said and this is a quote um she well she was sure he would still have been alive had she been with him 
For my cheerful remonstrances and having a friend in whom he could trust always at hand would have prevented the uneasiness he endured from preying upon his mind. So you kind of think she had some theories about what happened to him. At least I think that that points to her having some thoughts. And Suicide by interdimensional travel is what you're saying? <laughs> Obviously. I mean, if you haven't figured out that that's the answer by now, you're a little slow. Thank you. <laughs> so... <laughs> So yeah, he, he seems to, he, he had some, some physical ailments, um, he was ill a lot, uh, he, was, he was paranoid that there were plots against him, um, you know, even, even little slights, like they, they go um, to a town and he's supposed to see uh, the Austrian ambassador Baron Wessenberg, um, who he actually knew, the guy's away. That, that's a plot against him. The, the Baron had, had left specifically because he knew that Bathurst was on his way and he wanted to, you know, ghost him, essentially. That, that was his thoughts. And so it seems like he's growing more and more paranoid and just weird by the day. Did, did you get the feeling, and, and I'm asking you because you did more research on this, I believe. And I'm not going to say more research. You did, you have a research background, so you did a more thorough job. You had you already had that skill set of being able to research. Where I'm just kind of getting into this whole research thing. Did you get the feeling that she really loved this guy? I mean, really oh, loved him. She really yeah. loved him. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. She, yes. I mean, she she went on a, a a horrible mission to try and find out either find him or find out what happened to him that was was yeah. treacherous and just tedious and horrible you got and that's what where this journal comes from is, is her travels to to go and, and try and find him and and it, like you you don't go on that kind of a journey unless you really right. love someone this is akin if you want to take like a modern day equivalent of what this is this is akin to somebody going in to afghanistan or iraq Going into unfriendly territory and mm -hmm. trying to find out what happened to their husband. Mm -hmm. But that person does have some connections. Right. And then the interesting aspect of this article was it's basically its main point that, you know, the whole like continental sieve or, you know, whatever it was called. The idea of it is that you had her and, and several attendants going to try and find him and... They left without their even like she she sent to get the passports and she was then she was like I, I don't feel like waiting let's just go mm -hmm. and so they just went without the passports and they're like traveling around so it was kind of like you know yeah it seemed like it would be hard to get around but these people managed to do it mm -hmm. and maybe it was just her sheer determination and her sheer sheer force of will and love for him I imagine border security wasn't quite what it is <laughs> Not nowadays quite, no so and then you had Bathurst who you know before he disappeared. You have any time this is brought up, you know, the, the idea that because he, he, he went uh, sort of incognito. Um, I wouldn't call it incognito. OK, so that's why I say sort of. Yeah. He, he, he went under a false name and, and, and I believe some false papers. Let's take you to November 25th, 1809. The city is Pearlberg, a little town west of Berlin. Mm -hmm. uh, Bathurst is with a German courier. Uh, named Herr Kraus. Um, yeah, him and Kraus are uh, uh, traveling. You want to do the aliases? Please. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Okay. I want, I want to just point out here, Herr Kraus did not disappear. And he went by the name Fisher. Yeah. Because Herr Kraus was like, I like it. It sounds cool. You know? <laughs> I like it. And, and Benjamin Bathurst goes, 
Well, I suppose I'll go by the meager and poor name of Baron de Coke. <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> Baron. Baron de Coke. I'm I'm nobody important. Just a Baron. And you're traveling when there's like you know bandits on the on the on the highways and mm-hmm. you know nothing is really safe. And he's wandering around as a, as a disguised as a baron. In good clothing. Good clothing. In really amazing clothing. I have mentions of a, di- a diamond brooch. Yeah. A magnificent fur cloak. You know, like he really was, he was dressed. He was a horrible spy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he was not really great with the stealth thing. Definitely not. Not so great with that. It's like trying to sneak into some place with a marching band. Yeah, really, basically. Is what it is. Yeah, and then he really, it, not only that, but Napoleon didn't really, he didn't hold back when it came to um, just completely destroying the idea of diplomatic immunity. Um, he arrested uh, a diplomat named Rumbold at one point uh, and, and kept Rumbold for, I believe, a day. And then Rumbold was able to get passage out that, you know, his government was able to get him out, but Napoleon kept the papers, and they're still to this day in France, um, which I found really amazing uh, for some reason, because I'm a dork. And uh, he also detained British emissaries um, who were coming through France in 1803, uh, when the war was renewed, including the homebound ambassador at Constantinople and rescuer of the marbles, the Earl of Elgin. I don't know what that means, Ooh. but I like that he rescued the marbles. That se- I don't. That seems like a really good guy. You know? I am Scott, King of Sparrow Manor and Lord of the Spoiled Potato Salad. <laughs> yeah. It's in the back of the fridge towards the macaroni and cheese. Like, this guy's name is, like, reaching, like, Daenerys Targaryen levels of, you know, like, all the titles. <laughs> Rescuer of the marbles. Homebound ambassador at Constantinople. Constantinople. Like, Jesus. Yeah, so Napoleon would actually, you know, detain and uh, diplomats. He didn't have any, like, usually there, you, you, you hear about diplomats, you know, pulling shit in, in different countries and, you know, they're, they're completely... Get off scot free. Oh, still, still to this day. Still yeah. to this day. You know, one, parking tickets? Nah, not a thing. One of the most fascinating stories of modern history is actually about a monster film, a crappy rubber, rubber suit man in a rubber suit monster film called Pulgasari. Hmm. Um, and if you if you ever get a copy of Pulgasari, it'll go banned for over a decade. Right? It's like right on the front. What happened was the North Korean dictator at the time, Kim Jong Il. Loves Godzilla films. Oh, yes. So he invited the crew of the Godzilla films over to meet them, and then he captured them and forced them to make (laughs) his own North Korean monster film. I had heard about that, yeah. Yeah. And then he watches it, and it's it's like a thinly veiled dig at the North Korean government, (laughs) and he goes, to jail! And then they escape! (laughs) They escape North Korean prison, and then they go, you know, it's a shame... Uh, Tomoyuki, it's it's a real shame that we uh, and that was the guy's name. I'm not being racist. <laughs> it's a real shame that uh, that we got all that footage. Do you want to sneak back into North Korea and steal? And they stole like some of the oh footage. They snuck back in and stole it. And so whenever they say banned for over a decade, that's why. Okay, yeah, I see. Yeah. So it still happens, and it will happen in the future. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one thing this podcast has taught me. 
people are dicks, and people <laughs> that are in power are bigger dicks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's because you get into power and become a bigger dick, or you get to the power because you were a big dick to begin with. It probably is a is is a, is a continuum. It's you're 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 a, a big dick, so you get into power, and then you become an even bigger dick. The, like, the, the dickness just just you know it just constantly expands. The, the, <laughs> it rises. as it does. <laughs> oh, power dick is jokes. the Viagra of dicks. <laughs> I know. Probably some of you are saying, Scott, Viagra is the Viagra of dicks. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, that one just got away from you, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it did. It did. So, okay, Mobius so... Mobius yeah. strip of dicks. Mobius strip of dicks. It's like a dildo mm. connected to itself, but with a twist. <laughs> oh, God. How did we get here from Bathurst? Um, so just his... let, it, let it happen. Yeah, let it happen. let it ride. So his, his mental state, I have some stuff on his mental state leading up to this. Um, it seems to, to go back and forth. You know, like, they say... Um, you know, they, they say that at first, like, he was, you know, in good spirits at some points, and then he becomes, you know, um, pale, melancholy, and melancholy and abstracted. He's ill. Uh, he did a lot of, they, they would travel at night a lot, and he would feel, I guess, kind of, like, pent up in the, in the carriage. So he would get out and walk, and then that somehow, later on, he was complaining, you know, that he couldn't, you know, like, he, he, he was having trouble actually walking. Have you seen a picture of, of what a chase is? Like yes. Like, the carriage? Yes. It's, like, one step above a rickshaw. Yeah, yeah, they're very small. Yeah, people yeah. people who are in prison cells have more room than Bathurst did, and he's already in a fragile mental state. It's mm-hmm. no wonder that he's kind of losing it. He's essentially in a prison cell that's being jostled around on on a bumpy road cuz i don't think shock absorbers were a thing at the time mm-hmm. if you were lucky you had leaf springs this was this was not an easy trip for him it wouldn't be yeah. an easy trip for me not that i'm in the most <laughs> wonderful state of mind we've talked about this um but shit it's this is a it's rough, rough situation for him absolutely yeah he at one point when when asked you know like when they saw how you know he was having uh, he was having dinner with uh, somebody and they asked him, you know, your, your legs, you seem to have trouble walking. Do you have, you know, have you ever had gout? And he says, no, but my nerves are shattered and I am by no means well. And then excused himself to lie on the sofa before dinner. Um, and then he started, you know, this is all on the way to Pearlberg, most of it between Berlin and Pearlberg. Uh, claimed he was being followed. Um, he, he said to Krauss, I don't have a friend in the world other than my wife. Uh, constantly accusing people. Um, Krauss told Mrs. Bathurst about this in the aftermath. Um, uh, he didn't say who Bathurst was accusing, but he said he was constantly just accused people of, you know, plotting against him. And here was one, uh, you know, when at one point Bathurst is, is doing his, you know, j'accuse, j'accuse all over the place. And uh, Krauss is, is, you know, saying, speaking up in their defense of, of all these other people, Bathurst instantly seized him and shook him and accused him of being also a part concerned against him, and he was so violent that the, the saliva from his mouth covered Kra- Krauss's face and linen. That's not bedclothes. That's, you know, his, course, his clothes. His little <laughs> fluffy, fluffy shirt that I imagine that he's wearing. Yeah. And then uh, he did calm down after this particular, you know, explosion, but still was sure that he would be murdered, although he said, you know, Krauss, you'll be fine. Just, just me. I'll be murdered. He was right. I mean, kind of, It's not yeah. paranoia if they're actually out to get you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was... He was really in a, in a bad state of mind. Had some good moments. Um, 
but it was just that 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 paranoia just kept on creeping back in and creeping back in at one point um they're they're just coming into Pearlberg and there's a countess whose carriage had broken down and he's absolutely sure that she was out to get him she, she's here to watch me and to take me down <laughs> Just the countess, just hanging out, you know, broken carriage, and he suspects plots. And so, yeah, that was, like, that was a big reason why, like, Krauss was like, you know what, let's rest a little bit in Pearlberg before we continue on. And so they get to Pearlberg, and they they do get a little bit of rest. Um, the, the horses are, are exchanged. Um, you know, that was a, a thing that they did was, you know, you would, horses can only travel a certain amount. Obviously, they need rest. You know, they're 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 animals. They're they're not gods. Think yeah. of it as trading in a propane tank for your barbecue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so they had to change out the horses, and yeah, um, so they they stop in Pearlberg and you know like have a little bit of dinner, um, and it seems like just shit got crazy. Yeah, Benjamin Bathurst. He spends several hours riding in the small room because. Travel was delayed until 9 p.m. Mm-hmm. It was, and that was that was a weird thing. It was about a two or three hour delay from where they were going to. Uh, Bathurst left the room at, at 9 p.m. Bathurst had been writing um, the, the letters, but he had been writing. But then he was burning them. Yeah, and I have an explanation for that that I didn't find anywhere else except for this again this article, which was my gold mine. Um, I want you. To, I'm interested because this was a fascinating case. Please link me that article. Ooh. I definitely want to Absolutely. read this. Um, yeah, I'll make sure you, you, you get it. Fantastic. Maybe put it up on maybe put it up on the old timey crimey Facebook page. I can put a link to it. I'm not sure if everybody will be able to access it because okay. I got it through Google Scholar, which I have an account through the university. Ooh. So I'm not sure if like if, if, if other people would be able to access it or if they would just like see the abstract, which is normally what you mm-hmm. see if you don't have Google Scholar. Do you see oh. this is why Christie's <laughs> research is better than mine. She has access to the Vatican archives. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to see it. You might not. I don't know. Yeah. But we'll we'll try. We'll see if we can get it out there. Christy like, is Vatican Archives. Vatican she, Archives. She knows exactly where Benjamin Bathurst is. He's, he's the janitor. It's an article from International History Review. He's, he's still alive. He's in the Vatican. They keep him alive using... Using the Holy Grail. It's not the library at Alexandria, Scott. No, no, no. Of course not. The Japanese have that. So, oh God. So, he's just freaking out. He's been, it's been said that he was shaking very, very much, uh, which I can relate. Hi, tremors. <laughs> Maybe he just had a single cup of half-calf coffee, <laughs> and that sent him into earthquake mode, like it does to me. Um, so, I hate that I'm so caffeine-sensitive, uh, because I love caffeine. Caffeine um, is great. It's so great. <sighs> but I have the attention deficit disorder, so it actually oh, yeah. calms me down. Oh, yeah. My brother had that same. I, it was it was so weird to see, like, the, the difference. Yeah. Um, uh, except he would go into extreme calm. Like, it would, you know, it would kind of zombify him. It was weird. But... Oh, it's wonderful. Mm. I love it. So he freaks out. He, he goes, uh, they're hanging out at the p- post house. And once again, he's, he's paranoid about Krauss. And he had, he... Bathurst had two loaded pistols, and at this point in time, he kept both of them in his hands and would not allow Kraus to leave one spot in the room. He was like, no, you stay there. I'm going to stay here with my two guns, <laughs> and everybody's going to be cool, all right? We're going to be cool. <laughs> Jesus. 
I just, that's a lovely image. Just like him trembling, <laughs> shaking, with two guns Poor in his Krauss, hands, man. and Kraus is just sitting there going like, "You're the boss, I guess." Yeah. <laughs> this is what I do now. This is my new home. This corner is the room, and uh, that is where. Oh no! Kraus was, you know, kind of. He, he was pretty freaked out. Um, you know, waving the guns around, and then he 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 wrote. That's when he wrote letters. Um, or he he had some letters he had written. To his wife and to a couple of other other people. Did they mention reptilians at all? Are we nope. talking like Alex Jones level of paranoia? Um, Bombell and Metternich, which Metternich I had seen uh, referenced earlier uh, in uh, when he was in Vienna, I believe, uh, was somebody he had some dealings with, and I think Metternich might have denied him passports, causing some some trouble with his travels. Mm-hmm. And then Bombell, I hadn't, and I, I, I had to do some skimming to actually find the the relevant stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and it says it says here it theorizes that he was accusing both of them of leading him into a trap, um, and that's when Kraus was like, you know what, you have all these dispatches and and letters and everything like like you have all these dispatches we're carrying from uh, other you know ambassadors and from officials and such. If we get caught with those, that'll give the game away. Not your diamond brooch. Of course not. <laughs> not your magnificent cloak. None of that. Um, Where'd you get that jacket? Found it. <laughs> or the fact that you can't speak German all that well and you're traveling as a German baron um, or Austrian baron. Um, I'm not sure which it was supposed to be. but uh, So Krauss is like, these dispatches, burn them. We'll be good to go. You know, if they catch us, they have no reason to look twice at us. But if they catch us with the dispatches, that is a problem. So, and it seemed like that sort of solved it. It said that he he had a dramatic change in his demeanor. Um, so he he basically was like, okay, you know, he's like he he told Kraus, he's like, huh, and this is a quote. He felt much obliged to him, much obliged to him. And now knew he was really his friend. He accordingly burnt them all, and also the letters he had written, telling Krauss he was now much easier. I think that means his mind was was eased. Tell you what, I even let you hold one of the bullets. (laughs) Oh, just wait, there's some weird holding that goes on here. Um, Well. And then he had gotten an escort... Uh, from the commandant, uh, just two soldiers. He he wanted a f- like a full escort to get them, you know, at, at least out of the country. I think. I don't hold it against him. I mean, I've hired escorts before. <laughs> <laughs> Not that kind of escort. Please, um, please, they're working girls. And he sent <laughs> he sent the soldiers away. He's, he's been so paranoid all this time, and then burning the dispatches, you know, and, and talking to Krauss, who he had just been, like, holding guns up at. Not gun, but guns. And he's like, no, you know, he... You know, have, have a Ducat here. He thanked them in German. Um, so they, they ate some dinner, and he drank the better part of a bottle of... Clar- I don't know if it's claret or claret, and I like wine, so I should know this, but maybe it depends on if you're, you know, in England or in France. I think it's actually claret. Claret? Okay. Claret. Um, there seems to be this weird thing with wine where... It's named after blood. You have sangria, yeah. which is blood. Claret is actually a name for blood. Mm-hmm. So they they used to say during old-timey boxing matches, maybe we'll do a podcast about them, <laughs> that claret has begun to flow. Oh, wow. Well, I mean, you do have, like, even, like, 
what signifies the blood and communion, you know? Wine. Wine, exactly. Yeah. So it, it doesn't surprise me. It's just it's just one of those words that I've seen a lot, but never actually heard pronounced because it's not like, you know, you, you wander into the, the, the liquor store and you're like, you got any claret? <laughs> you know? Well, maybe you don't. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, you don't. You don't know my life. Um, so this is, this is where it gets, uh, okay. Do, wait a minute. I do know your life. We've been friends for two decades. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, so he then, uh, he's like, yeah, we, we ate. And then he drank some claret. Then he lays down on the table and goes to sleep for a few hours, holding Krause's hand the whole time. Oh. And before he went to sleep, he asked for Krause's pardon, um, and shook hands with him. You know, so pardon me for yelling at you and holding these guns up. We're, we're, we're still friends. Mm -hmm. So he was acting really weird, according to these accounts. And this is, this is information that Krause passed on to Mrs. Bathurst and that she recorded down, in, as far as I know, in her travel diary. Now, do you think it might have just been the separation of time? We're talking like 1800s, where there's like a difference in social dynamics. Like in ancient Egypt, women wore beards. Mm -hmm. Women wore fake beards. Um, so was it maybe just like a social thing of the time where it wouldn't be unusual to hold your best friend's hand while you napped? It's entirely possible, but also remember, he's British. <laughs> I don't know why that's funny. I, don't I mean... But he's British. <laughs> they're not really known as super affectionate people, but it could still have been like a thing. It just, it seems like, it, you know... I, I, it's not like they were making out, mm -hmm. and not that there would have been anything wrong with that, but in, except for you know cheating his wife. But in a different time, in a different place, under different circumstances, I honestly think Benjamin would have fit in with our group of friends. He seems to have the right level of anxiety. Right, right. <laughs> He's right there with us. So yeah. let me put it to you and this especially way. in your God in your twenties. Yeah, I talked a couple of weeks ago about the you know the time that my anxiety kicked in. And you can see that, you know, granted, he has a lot of pressure on his shoulders and a lot of strain mm -hmm. and a lot of things that are nagging at him. Um, but you can definitely see, you know, had he been born a couple centuries later, he'd probably have an Ativan prescription. Yeah. No, yeah. And no shame on, shame on that, you know, or, or be on antidepressants because, you know, they didn't know what it was back then. You know, they, you know, it's an attack of nerves or something like that. And of course, if it's a woman, it's always hysteria. Fuck that. Right. Um, so but, yeah. But think of it this way. Think of it this way. Um, let's say, let's say our buddy Joe, mm -hmm. right? Let's say he was over here. He has a horrible panic attack. Absolutely horrible panic attack. He lays down on the couch. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting on the floor beside of him holding his hand. I can absolutely see that. Yeah. 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 So that's that's a thing where like we can go, oh, he's holding his hand. Tee hee. Tiggle, tiggle. Well, I don't know what a tiggle is. <laughs> it's like a twitter and a giggle all put together. I like it. I yeah. Like it. A twiggle. Well, it's not just the hand holding. Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the hand holding is sort of, it, it, it seems odd for his position and for their relationship with each other. But maybe, you know, like we don't know, maybe it wasn't. Um, but they're also like... The laying down on the table, you know, he'd just been waving guns around the guy and now he's holding his hand. Like, it just seems like he's on a freaking roller oh, coaster, man. He is ups and downs and ups and downs. Absolutely. And the weird thing is, Herr Kraus, at this point, he really seems to give a fuck about this guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is... This I mean, and is... he will continue to to try to do his best to help and to communicate with Mrs. Bathurst, uh, with Philida. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, um... 
it's but it's just it was just a, like laying down on a table and I mean I guess that could have been the claret yeah. too yeah and and then like or, holding the hand of somebody that just like an hour or two ago you were threatening seems like a shift here's the thing though we he lays down on the table though it might have been the only surface to lay down upon possibly but it seems like if you're you're in a place like this, I mean, I, I believe this was when they were in the White Swan, but I could be wrong because it seems like they went to the post. The, I, I'm confused by locations in this, but um, so it, it seems like there had to have been, especially if they're in the same room mm-hmm. where he was writing, got to sit down to write. Or at least I do. <laughs> Stand up desks weren't really a thing that I know of in 1809 in Pearlberg. You know, so, so yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's what I have on his, his mental state. Um, even in, in one of my notes, holy paranoia at the post house. <laughs> um, so I think we have a show title. <laughs> we just, paranoia just, at the post, post house. house. Yep, I like it. So, so yeah, and then later on, um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll get to the the actual description of the disappearance, which varies from source to source. From what I've seen, wildly in some yeah. places, time seems to have no meaning whatsoever. Um, after two hundred and ten years have passed. Um, Krauss actually said to Mrs. Bathhouse, Bathhouse, I knew that was going to happen at some point. I knew it. Oh, Mrs. Bathurst, um, that he thought his theory was Bathurst was acting this way because, you know, in, in the way he acted with the, the handholding and the, the, the affectionate talking and everything and the forg- forgiveness or whatever, um, that he thought that he was trying to get away. He was trying, you know, he was trying to kind of lull me into a, a sense of false security so that I wouldn't be, you know, keeping an eye on him. You know, I would think, you know, Krauss is like, oh, well, if, if I think he's okay, then he's free to scamper off to wherever because he wants to get away. He doesn't feel safe or for whatever reason, you know, we, we will never know. But yeah, that's, so that's, that's his behavior prior to, which I, I feel like, you know, points to a couple different possible explanations and so then there's the disappearance. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Um, about nine o'clock at night, the horses were ready. And they're going into French-controlled territory. I think that's also important, too. Or they were going to be going into French-controlled territory. And um, that basically um, Bathurst, according to my sources, said... Kraus, you guard the luggage. I'll go outside and, uh, you know, check check things out. And sent uh, Hilbert, the other, um, who I believe was his, you know, an attendant, to help pack. And then he just passed by the uh, postillion who was pumping water for the horses. Um, eight people saw him go down a side street. And a quarter of an hour later, uh, 15 minutes, gone. Absolutely yeah. gone. And so, but so many other sources say he like walked around the front of the horses. It's so, it gets so, again, as with everything, it gets so muddled through the years and through change. So this, this is, this is the accounts from the time passed on to Mrs. Bathurst, but uh, I don't think she got these accounts until quite a bit of time had passed. She yeah. didn't get there until I think 18, sometime in like mid 1810-ish. The one, the one story that I heard, and I'd seen all these where it was, it was literally, like Krauss was on one side of the horses, yeah. he was on the other, and Kraus and like he goes around the corner and goes, <coughs> and Krauss looks over and he's gone. Yeah, I think those are utter bullshit. The yeah. one that I go for is that that uh, Bathurst leaves the room, 
Kraus follows shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. And he gets down there, and he can't find Bathurst. Yeah. That seems plausible. Exactly. And th- this one is actually, like, also, like, a lot more detailed. Like, all those stories are, he walked around the carriage, and he was gone. And this one is, you know, he, it says everything he was wearing. Um, the, it was a, it was a, cl- actually, mild night for November. Um, so he left his fur cloak behind. That's important. Um, he didn't have very much money on him. Uh, he did have a gold and silver watch and his diamond brooch. And, of course, he had his two guns uh, with balls and powder. So, and, you know, like, there's 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 so many details there that it's, like, it's, it's so much more than what we get from the, oh, walked around the horses and was gone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there was even one that I read where, where Kraus was searching for him and he could hear him yelling, but the voice got fainter and fainter <laughs> and faded away. And the bullshit fiddles the room up mm-hmm. to the brim. And everybody goes, oh boy, with all this horse shit, there must be a pony someplace. <laughs> and it's like, no. <laughs> yeah, it seems, I, like, once I read this account, I was like, okay, that has... I guess you trust a lie with more details, but right. it's still, it's, it's, it's also from like a, a super reliable source, you know, from a, an academic journal and, you know, written by, I, I haven't looked up this guy, but I assume he's an historian of some kind. He seems pretty damn knowledgeable on the ins and outs of when workings of the, you know, the era. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's the one I trust. And so, yeah, he just, he just disappeared and yeah. was never seen again. Gone. Absolutely gone. We do get some remnants of him and a few clues as to what might have happened. Um, so there's, and it's basically close when it comes right down to it. Um, there is his cloak and Krauss's cloak. Uh, and th- these were the fur ones, or at least Bathurst was fur. And they'd been left in the post house. Uh, later on, they're actually found in, I believe, the outhouse of the Schmitz. Mm-hmm. Um, what I call the Schmidt house. The, the Schmidt house. <laughs> Are you sure that's not the episode title? <laughs> the Schmidt house, yeah. Um, so, and I believe she was, uh, Schmidt was the postmaster? Uh, what Schmidt was, was the, um, okay. I, see, I found it different, again, different things in different yeah. places. Um, so, yes, let's let's talk about August Schmidt. Yes. Uh, he was the White Swan Inn hostler. And so, I went, what the fuck's a hostler? So I think August might be the postmaster's son. It's, uh, actually, it's, uh, yeah, August and August were the two. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, one has a final E on the end of the name, the oh, other yeah. one doesn't. So... August is the white swan in hostler. And I had to look up what a hostler was. It's a caretaker of horses, mm-hmm. essentially. Brushing and washing and, and doing fairing. And August Schmidt's mother also worked at the inn. And it said that she had taken the coat. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so they found, they found his coat hidden inside the Schmidt family outhouse. Uh, that was found on November 27th mm-hmm. of the following year that he, he uh, went missing. And then uh, in December 16th, his pantaloons were yes. found in the Quitzal Woods. Pretty close to the Schmitz and the White Swan Inn. Yeah, yeah. Not very far at all. And there's reports and they, they of, of two bullet hole, holes in the trousers. The, the pants, the pantaloons. Uh, but no blood. And then there was also a note to his wife, uh, found with the, the 
pantaloons, which it's interesting because it had been raining pretty steadily for days. Note was still readable. This has a very Boys of Yuba City feel to yeah. it. There's a... If you get the chance, we won't do a show about it because it's it's pretty pretty modern. Um, there is a case. There's actually two cases. Uh, there's one called the Dyatlov Pass, which has gotten pretty famous recently. The Dyatlov Pass was uh, some Russian hikers who ended up murdered, but nobody knows how or why. Well, they ended up dead. They ended- <laughs> Murdered or not, their tongues were missing. Different, well, but that could be accounted for by wildlife. There was something weird going, and they were slightly <laughs> radioactive. And but then there's the American version of that case, the boys from Yuba City, uh, which is close to Oroville, California, um, which I have ties to, believe it or not. The uh, boys from Yuba City, they were a group of special needs individuals who went missing one night after seeing a basketball game, and. Whenever they were finally found, they had been fed. Their clothes were in good condition. And they had stayed someplace. And it's this big mystery. That's so creepy. this whole thing of the pants, here's the pants, there's bullet holes in them, no blood. Yeah. That's a little odd. And and the, the readable note yeah. to his wife. Which basically, okay, I can't find the exact wording, but said that, if I remember correctly from uh, what I heard and read, said that the basically the French are out to get me, uh, don't marry after I die. <laughs> like, a little weird. Uh, little, I little insist odd. that you stay chaste and a virgin as you are right now. <laughs> My dear wife. May your nether regions never know joy. I love you dearly. <laughs> yes, quite. So Maybe that's why. <laughs> Maybe that's why she was so intent. I must find my husband alive so that I can enjoy an orgasm once again. (laughs) Otherwise, I must never marry. (laughs) Widow for life. No orgasms to be found. Um, Look look under the fridge. They're usually there. (laughs) Life tip from from Scott. If porno has ever taught me anything, (laughs) just look near the pool or have a pizza delivered and you'll find an orgasm right away. So, so, yeah, actually, uh, the Mama Schmidt, we'll call her because I don't have a name for her, and her son were actually jailed for theft due to the uh, the, the cloak being found there. Um, but, yeah, there's 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 that. There's the pants, and that's that's pretty much seems to be it. Yeah. Um, Phyllida, I mean, she goes all out. Mm-hmm. She goes to Germany to search for her husband. Yeah. On her own. Accompanied by explorer Heinrich Röttgen. And she, before she did that, she actually, that's a great name. It is. It's beautifully German and it sounds like a a German explorer's name. Absolutely. Here's here's a fun fact. Heinrich was one of four students recommended as explorers to the Joseph Banks Africa Association. Oh, wow. And they all died in Africa. Every last one of them. That's a recommendation. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) if you happen to be listening to this from the late 1700s, early 1800s, don't Go to Africa. <laughs> yeah, she actually wrote to Napoleon first in January, um, demanding the release of her husband. Or at least, you know, if, if you won't release him, at least let me be with him. And, and you know, like, keep me in, in, in your jail with him, apparently, was her idea, her two ideas. That was pretty much the, the general belief, was that the, the, the French had grabbed him and either put him in jail or killed him. 
Um, so, and uh, Starenberg actually appears again there. That's who she gave the letter to. Yeah. Um, and she, she actually meets Napoleon. Yeah. Face to face. At this point, once again, akin to meeting Kim Jong-un face to face. But here's the thing. Another one of these connections to connections to connections. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm going to have to read this verbatim because I don't think I could reproduce it. Um, she, Mrs. Bathurst, Mrs. Bathurst counted on Napoleon's agreeing to what she asked out of his, she's asking for passports at this point in time, out of his gratitude to the mother-in-law of her younger sister, Catherine, married to Major General Henry McKinnon, when Napoleon had been a poor and lonely student at the same French military academy as the two McKinnon brothers, their mother and father had treated him as a member of the family. So she's drawing on like, oh, well, you you're, were taken in by the mother-in-law of my little sister, essentially. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, once again, doing the whole modern thing. It's kind of like trying to get an audience with Osama bin Laden through Polly Shore. <laughs> because Polly Shore, I think, dated Osama bin Laden's daughter or niece. Really? Yeah. The weird shit that I don't know. You would think I would know that. I don't know why I would know that, but you'd think I would. I spend yeah. a lot of time on the internet. Yeah, Osama bin Laden's daughter slash niece. Hmm. Pretty damn hot. <laughs> so, well, apparently. Um, so... Yeah, uh, she she basically is trying to draw on that that family connection, and yeah, she goes uh, in search of her husband, and that's you know where she she gets a lot of where we get a lot of this information is is from her travel journals, um, and you know there's a lot there's just that they had dogs uh, trained dogs search the area, um, they offered a reward, you know she she put up a whole bunch of money. Um, and uh, when she, she did, you know, see Napoleon and he said, you know, I know nothing, but I'll, you know, I'll try to help you out a little bit, you yeah. know. She, she actually put up a reward of 500 thalers. Yes. Which, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, yeah. I, I couldn't never, even try to do the currency conversion on that. I'd never even heard of a thaler before this. It, this is, I have no idea what a thaler is. I think I have actually heard of it in in as as like Prussian currency or something like that. But See, uh, this is this is where you and I build off each other. You hear heard of Thalers. I know about Polly Shore's Osama bin Laden collection. Exactly, connection. it's it's yeah. perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's a perfect partnership. My broken matches Christie's broken. <laughs> <laughs> it's perfect. Oh, broken meets broken. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Napoleon, you know, they, they, they pull out all the stops. Napoleon actually does, um, he instructs one of his men in Berlin, a pretty, pretty high up guy, uh, to, to make uh, every possible inquiry. This guy is, uh, according to this article, the most powerful individual in Prussia. You know, he said, you know, go, his name is St. Marsan, uh, find out what you can, um, tell Mrs. Bathurst what you find out, nothing. Absolutely nothing. And this is starting to get a little flame worry on either side, mm -hmm. too. Um, it's, it's, it's fascinating, the, the newspaper <laughs> snippets from what's going on here. Um, you, you had uh, England, you know, the, the Times um, in England, you know, saying that it was... Uh, Information, however, has been received within these few days, which forcibly tends to fix the guilt of Mr. Bathurst's death or disappearance on the French government. 
Um, and so then uh, the Le Moniteur Universel response, and this is basically Napoleon's mouthpiece, uh, and this is, this is fun. England alone, among all civilized nations, has renewed the example of paying assassins and encouraging crimes. So you point the finger at me, I'll point it right back at you. Sick burn, dude. <laughs> I'm rubber and you're glue. Um, it appears by the accounts from Berlin that Mr. Bathurst was deranged in his mind. This is the custom of the British cabinet to give their diplomatic missions to the most foolish and senseless per- persons the nation produces. The, <laughs> right? Those claws are coming out. The English di- diplomatic corps is the only one in which examples of madness are common. I'm like, you guys, this is how you talk to each other. (laughs) No wonder you don't get along. It's it's kind of the pot calling the kettle black there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, there's some, there's some weirdness, some international relations getting flamed up because of this. And, you know, Napoleon, you know, trying to help out. Apparently, I, I don't fully believe even with the family connections, I don't fully believe that Napoleon was like, yeah, St. Marsan, you, you go, you find out what you can. And he's like, yeah, you, you go see what you can find out. There were definitely some implied air quotes. By find out, that means go visit the whorehouse <laughs> and have yourself a good three-day time. Here, have some dollars. <laughs> Although, I, it was Napoleon, it was French, it was probably... I know what the currency was. Uh, my broken's not enough. Pantaloons. <laughs> pantaloons, here's some pantaloons. <laughs> Oh, I'm just going to stay here in my comfy little room with my hand in my pocket. <laughs> As somebody paint me. Quick. <laughs> where's where's my painter? <laughs> I want you to all spread rumors about how short I am. <laughs> no one must know the truth. I'm a tall, tall man. He was, he was what, 5'10"? Wasn't yeah, I don't think he was actually that short. No, yeah. no. I, I think it's kind of weird that that I don't, I don't know, I don't know that I'm, I'm speculating there, but I think, I think it's weird that he's, he's always defined by his shortness, and overcompensating and whatever. I think I, that's weird, but let's look that up because I feel like you know we, we might be wrong and somebody might be shouting at us in their car. Oh, there. cough beast! beast. <laughs> I don't even cough. <laughs> Napoleon height. You seem to be on this, so I'll let you do it. Uh, five foot seven. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's taller than me. And especially considering that like, we've, we've gotten taller, you know, like not, not hugely taller over two centuries, but taller somewhat. Well, the average height uh, of British males back in that time was me, five foot five. Yeah. You know, and I'm considered very short uh, for this time. I'm so short. Somebody <laughs> help me. All you bitches don't want to date tall, uh, short men. Jesus Christ. I need to start like this big country fad. Where it's like tall women dating short men. I almost had it because you met Tracy, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, Tracy was five foot ten. So I, it's like we were talking. We'd make jokes about, oh, we're gonna write country songs. I love that little man in a big way. <laughs> <laughs> but then she left me anyway. <laughs> oh. Oh. <laughs> oh man, but yeah. So he's like five foot seven. He's He's tall for the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it's so weird that that became attached to him. But you have, you have things like that throughout history. You know, just little, little lies and rumors that attach themselves to historical figures and just become kind of become part of the lore, even though they're demonstrably untrue. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, and we've seen very much throughout. You know, the even even the small number of episodes we've made here, that the truth just gets completely it gets 
stretched and then made into a ball and then thrown across the room. It's, it's clay. It's what I find what I find incredible is the malleability of the truth mm-hmm. coupled with how you can really take any subject any subject at all and connect it up with any other subject. Oh yeah, yeah. Like right now I can give you three connections to the paranormal through Napoleon Bonaparte. Mm-hmm. Like I know his brother Joseph Bonaparte who lived in New Jersey saw the Jersey Devil once. Yes, yes. Yeah. And then um I'll, you you already mentioned one. You have um, Nostradamus. Yeah. You know, predicted you know, like some people say that he, you know, Nostradamus predicted Napoleon. Yeah. So right there's two without even trying. And then really we could connect this. Which is some some people claim is the paranormal. Charles Fort. We've talked about Charles Fort here before. Paranormal researcher, author of Book of the Damned. He mentions Benjamin Bathurst in one of his novels. Uh, his I love the name of this novel. Lo. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. L-O exclamation point. Lo. Lo. Um, yeah, is that the name of it? Low. I think so. That sounds right. Yeah. Let's see here. Control F. Low. Uh, I would, I would control F Fort or Charles. And exclamation point. There it is. Oh, yeah. Bathurst case is mentioned by Charles Fort in his book. Low. Yeah. Low. You have to, you can't just go, it's the book low. No, you have to, low with an low. exclamation point. Low. Low. And then he shows up in... Like science fiction stories, all, novels, all over the place by by absolute luminaries of the f- of the field. All the fucking time. Yeah. Which is which stuns me, because I know of this case through the paranormal. Mm-hmm. Even though I don't believe there's anything paranormal about it, I know of this case through the paranormal. Who else has heard of this utterly fascinating case? You didn't. Yeah, right? I don't think anybody in our group of friends is going to know who Benjamin Bathurst is. Yeah, I, I doubt it. Yeah, but I mean... There's only two podcasts that we could find, or at least they were on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. He's mentioned in Eric Frank Russell's 1939 science fiction novel, Sinister Barrier. Uh, Sinister Barrier. Um, he's In that book, he's one of the victims of the Vitons, telepathic invisible creatures that rule mankind. There's so much oh, stuff. Oh, it's beautiful. H.B. Piper, he walked around with horses where Bathurst slips into a parallel universe. Uh, Robert Block, where a lot of people probably don't know who Robert Block is. Um, Robert Block is uh, this, this wonderful science fiction author who wrote the short story that They Live, the Roddy Piper movie, is based oh, off of. Oh, okay. Um, which I think is called like 8.37 in the morning or something like that. Read the comic book based on it. Um, he mentions uh, that Bathurst is transported to the distant future. Uh, Lionel Fanthorpe. Li- Listen, if you want to hear the most English man you've ever heard <laughs> in your life, listen to Lionel Fanthorpe. And he wrote a short novel called Time Echo. Uh, Harlan Ellison, mm-hmm. the the man who wrote I Am Legend, wrote about Bathurst. The man who wrote Christopher Columbus Ashore is that one. Um, H.P. Lovecraft, the granddaddy. Fuck Stephen King. <laughs> Sorry, Stephen. <laughs> I know you're listening. <laughs> of course. Of course. But H.P. Lovecraft, uh, it's it, it, the he even mentioned Bathurst in passing in in one of his uh, short horror novels that he wrote with August Derleth. 
this he just shows up like all over throughout throughout science fiction and and um it's it's so weird that it, I, I, okay maybe it's not so weird because a lot of these people would read each other's work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one person reads a story about, you know, Benjamin Bathurst, and then they're inspired to write their own story. And then another person reads that story, and they, they're like, oh, some famous missing people I need to mention. Well, I've got, you know, Amelia Earhart, and oh, we all had in Benjamin Bathurst, I'll mention them, you know? Doesn't it feel like Bathurst's only reason for disappearing was to give fuel for future authors? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, they, we need fuel. <laughs> we were we're you, empty. We're running on empty. <laughs> you need to mention him in a novel coming up. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I'll find throw, a way. Throw him in there. Mm-hmm. Throw him in there. I mean, it seems to work for everyone else. Yeah, right. You and can... this is apparently the path to publication and fame. Exactly. <laughs> Bathurst. What the hell's this? Wow, Jesus Christ! Let's get let's get Christie published. She mentioned <laughs> Benjamin Bathurst. She cracked the code, bitches. <laughs> Oh, that's that is the secret code. Nobody ever knew, but now we've we've mm-hmm. told the whole world. Yeah, the, the secret is out. April fifteenth, eighteen fifty-two. Three hundred paces from the White Swan Inn, a skeleton is found. Yes, eighteen fifty-two. So we're talking thirty-three years later. Yeah, I did that math last night, not today. That explains why I'm fast. <laughs> the uh, skull was fractured. The upper teeth were perfect. One lower jawler, uh, bleh, one lower molar in the jaw looked like it was professionally removed. Yes. Um, Which you don't, like, the, the, the important thing about that is that's a sign that somebody has money. Yeah. That somebody is upper class. Back in the old days, what you did is you teased a horse until it kicked you in the face and you hoped that luck was on your side and it knocked <laughs> it out. Um, so the owner, the owner of that stable at the time was a mason named Kiesvetter. Uh, he bought the house in 1833 from a Christian Mortons who had worked at the White Swan Inn as a server when Bathurst vanished. Mm-hmm. Um, they called in... Oh, Christy, I'm going to let you have this one. Go for it. Benjamin Bathurst's sister. Oh, Benjamin Bathurst's sister. Oh, I I've read some of her poetry, too, and I have some of it to share with you guys. Anyway, his sister could not ID the body. His but... sister, Trifina Thistlethwaite. Thistle weight, which it could be thistle weight if if you do that thing where you don't pronounce some of the. It could be trifina, yeah. It could be which which actually sounds like cough syrup, but um, trifina thistle weight or trifina thistle weight, something along those lines. But yes, delightful, delightful name. That was his sister, and um, or wait, no, it's not. She wasn't the poet. There was a, there was another one that was a poet. He had a couple sisters. Oh yeah, um, Carolyn Carolyn de Crespigny. That was horribly pronounced. Apologies. But, um, so yeah, different sisters. But yeah, his, his sister comes in and she says, you know, like, nah, it doesn't look like him. Yeah. <laughs> Which, how can you tell? Exactly. <laughs> if, God forbid, if Christy would pass away and somebody held her skull up, and, I don't know. Yeah. It's a skull. <laughs> they all look alike to me. That's racist, Scott. <laughs> you know? You're, you're skullist. I am. I'm against skull Americans. <laughs> Actually, and I have um, a little note here. Again, my gold mine. Uh, there was another skeleton unearthed just 20 years after. Two skeletons? That's two too many. That's two too many, yes. <laughs> you, you find one skeleton and you're like... That's one too many. <laughs> yeah. Any skeletons is too many skeletons. Um, I don't have exact details on when or where it was unearthed. It's just because um, the Prussian authorities were like, that, that's not him. 
But also get the censors and tell them to tell the newspapers to shut the hell up. And by the way, we're going to be on vacation between 1940 and 1945. Yeah. So. Germany, Germany has such an open policy whenever it comes to its own history. Mm. So, so yeah, you have two skeletons uh, found. I, I assume that that second skeleton got more press a because there was nobody clamping down mm. on on the press, and b. Like I'm, I'm kind of making a huge assumption here, but I'm assuming that the this first one wasn't necessarily found on the property, but just somewhere nearby, something like that. They so. were both Benjamin Bathers. Let's see if I can find it in the article, but there's um, there's the twist of the story. They were both, they were both him. There's two of him. <laughs> Who this, knew? This That's whole, the theory that nobody else ever came up with. Exactly. And you have cracked it. The Christian Bale theory from from that magician movie that he was in with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> Wasn't it called The Magician? I don't know. <laughs> Something. I just remember David Bowie makes kind of a crappy t- Nikola Tesla. <laughs> I'm trying to see if this article has any more um, pantaloons. <laughs> 20 years later, um, okay, a, okay. S- a skeleton was unearthed in a marl pit, marl pit near the town. Uh, Prussian authorities said it's not his, and no newspapers can't comment. And then, yeah, they, they found uh, the, the other skeleton. Uh, well, uh, yeah, and it had... Did you mention the hatchet blow to the skull? Uh, yeah, I mentioned okay. that I the remember. skull was fractured. So I didn't mention the hatchet blow. We, we've talked about so many skeletons today, I just can't yeah, keep track. Yeah. <laughs> so, two of them. <laughs> two whole skeletons on a podcast about crime. Imagine that. Aww. So, um, so yeah, um. You have, and you have all these, you know, you have, you have weird theories about, you know, interdimensional travel that he was pulled into, um, pulled into another dimension, an alternate, you know, universe or whatever, or, you know, of course there's aliens. Um, and some of that could have also been fuel, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, mm-hmm. which came first, the, the internet dimensional travel theories or the science fiction novels. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to say, but it definitely did, um, capture quite a bit, bit of attention and, uh. A sort of a, a sad coda. Um, yeah. He had two daughters. Uh, I don't know about any other children, uh, but the two daughters who were infants when he first, you know, when he disappeared, um, they, one of them did grow up into adulthood from what I could find on a, like a genetics ge- genealogy website. Um, married, no children mm-hmm. that I could see. Um, the other one, uh, she died in a drowning accident at the age of, it's kind of spotty, 16 or 17. Poor Phyllida. Yeah. 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 Jesus Christ. Loses, loses her husband to a complete mystery and then loses her daughter to a drowning accident. And it's just, you know, like it's a tragedy just seemed to really kind of glue itself to her life and, and haunt her. And so, um, the poet sister, uh... I don't know why this name won't stick in my head, but I'm going to try pronouncing this again and fail miserably. Caroline de Crispigny. Nope. Nope. It's not happening. Um, so she... Carol de Crispy Cream. Nailed <laughs> yes, it. There we go. Yes. She um, had a, a poetry book published. Uh, she was uh, kind of in the romantic style. And she wrote a poem. It's uh, Lines on hearing of the death of my niece, Rosa Bathurst, drowned in the Tiber, age 17. Although, so the sources that I looked at also had her being either 15 or 16, mm-hmm. but... Um, you know what? I'm going to go with hers. Yeah, I would I would probably go with the aunt. Yeah. The aunt would probably know better than, than you know, like history books and whatever. Yeah, yeah. Because um, she knew, actually knew this, this, exactly. this poor child. 
Um, so yeah, and this 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 poem has footnotes, as awesome. do several of her footnotes. Um, so that's straight up like Mark Z. Danieluski to write a poem with footnotes. Yeah, yeah, it's so it, it, it's it's very it's it's a style. Um, and so it looks like the there's another ambassador, uh, the ambassador at Rome, Duke de Laval Montmorency, um, took a, a group of people, including Poor Rosa, to a narrow footpath above the Tiber River. Um, and it uh, it seems like everybody else uh, survived. Uh, the anguish of thy heedless friends who saw thee float a moment upon Tiber's wave, then sink forever in a watery grave. All hope of human aid, alas, was vain. How could their prayers no aid divine obtain? And uh, Mustaine, Ian, thy relics be denied a beer, thy course the tribute of a mother's tear. Unhouseled, unannealed, thy father fell. Thy father, that would be Rosa's father, which would be, of course, Benjamin Bathurst. Um, and a footnote here. Um, <laughs> My brother, Benjamin Bathurst, disappeared mysteriously at Pearlberg in Prussia on his journey back to England. Uh, his skeleton was 20... See, she seemed to... 20 years afterward, so... That is the skeleton I mentioned, mm -hmm. if we're getting the timing right. 20 years afterward, discovered in a long-disused lime kiln overgrown with bushes behind the inn which he had entered while the post horses were changing. So, that seems to be her theory. You know what? Let her have it too. Absolutely, and I—it's—it's more plausible than like he fell into an interdimensional hole, and he was abducted by aliens from the planet Vitron. But my question is, okay, because then there are some people who think we—we we talked about robbers, we talked about um, we, the you know French assassins or whatever, and of course all the 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 woo woo theories. Uh, there's also, you know, some people who think, and his mental state does seem to point to this, and even Krauss pointed to it a little bit, that he just left. He was, he was, he was too, you know, afraid that, that the French would get him. And maybe in the process of that leaving, he either, you know, like, died of exposure somewhere, even though it seemed to be a mild night, but maybe the next night was cold. I, I don't know what the weather was on November 26, 1809. It's, my it's app no, doesn't tell me that. It's November in Germany. But it was mild that first night, or not, I mean, the night he disappeared. Yeah. So it's hard, it's hard to tell, but yeah, I would say June, I was in Germany in June, and I, I was wishing I'd brought more pants. Right. Um, so, um... If you want to see... Like, a lot of people go, oh, come on, though. You know, even if you're insane, you're going to have some self-preservation. If you want to see what true insanity can do to a person, there is... I'm really curious to see who you're bringing up here. Ursula and Sabina Erickson. Two twin sisters oh. who went insane on TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've I've heard, heard of this of one. This, mm -hmm. right. Yeah, it's, so, it's, 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 oh my gosh. It's Madness something. on the Highway is the documentary about mm -hmm. it. You need to see this. Both these twins, which that, the whole twin phenomena fascinates me. The fact that these two women decided, not decided, but went insane at the same time. Mm -hmm. It is a testament both to insanity and the endurance of the human body. Because these women keep flinging themselves into oncoming traffic, mm -hmm. get hit by cars and semi-trucks multiple times, mm -hmm. and just keep going out. On television, the police can do nothing to stop them. 
So whenever you say, well, well, even if he was insane, he'd get cold. He'd try to find shelter. He didn't know. No. And I honestly believe that if this would have been a more modern case, like he's going to be diagnosed with some sort of mental break. At I mean, this point. yeah, he's I don't not that I think this is what this is, because we have absolutely no symptoms that necessarily point to it, except for the paranoia. Which could easily be explained as they were out to get him. Um, yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's he's nearing the age, he's around the age when, you know, schizophrenia starts to pop up in young males. Again, I'm not I'm not actually diagnosing somebody who disappeared 210 mm-hmm. years ago. I'm just saying that he's, you know, he is of that age. Um, he definitely had some, some severe anxiety. And, heck, I know, when, when my anxiety really kicks in, uh, flight. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily do it, but mm-hmm. I think about it. For some reason, when I imagine it, like, I'm, I'm like, I just want to get in my car and drive away and, and never come back. And I feel like if I can just, you know, like, get away, then, then you know, I'll get away from my problems, which is not how it works. But but for some reason, my brain, the furthest I ever get is Altoona. <laughs> so I don't think we ever have to worry about me going and <laughs> doing that. It's kind of, it's always funny to me that, like, that that's that's where my brain goes. It's like, I'll, I'll go to Altoona and then... And then stop. <laughs> so, so yeah, his anxiety might have been pushing him into fight or flight mode. And he, he had some fight when he was, you know, pointing the guns at Krauss. And then he was like, you know what? It's flight time. So he could have, he could have disappeared that way. And yeah, self-preservation, it doesn't always manage to keep its hold on the human brain. There's a certain point when it just gets kicked the fuck out. Do you know where my flight mode takes me? Hmm, I'm curious. Ghost towns. Oh, always, that makes sense. I always think to myself... You know, we have a ghost town here in Pennsylvania, a very famous ghost mm-hmm. town called Centralia. Um, you were the first person I heard about Centralia from. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Centralia is fascinating because it's been on fire since the 1960s. Yes. And for some reason, like I always picture myself, well, I, the buildings are probably not there anymore. Oh, I know for a fact they're not there anymore. But, like, I always go, I could go to Centralia. I could live there. Hmm. I could go out to the Old West and live in some of the old ghost towns. I could find, like, an, an old abandoned thing and, and, and just fix that up and live there. Nobody would know I would live. That's where my flight always takes me to it's these ghost towns. It's a place with towns. no people. Yeah. Yeah. And even to this day, the, the homes that I want to get to, I don't want to live in Johnstown forever. I actually have my eye on a little place in California mm. in the middle of the woods where it overlooks a lake and there's nobody there. Mm-hmm. It's half a million dollars, so please <laughs> donate generously to our Patreon. <laughs> Which we we're need to get a start Patreon. At some point, yes. <laughs> Gotta get that going. So remember, donate at least one point five million because I'm gonna need some moving <laughs> cash. And then of course I gotta I guess I gotta split it with Christy. <laughs> I suppose I will. Yes, demand that. Absolutely. You know, you know what? There's there's another house for sale on the other side of the lake, I and mean, we could be neighbors. <laughs> Absolutely. And then just you know, like like flip back and forth for for uh, podcasts. There, we go. there uh, we go. This is completely off track, but my my mom she was uh, she had a nail salon for like many years of my life, eighteen years or so, and she had these clients, and they were delightful, delightful little old ladies. I love them. Um, and they were they had been married to brothers. Okay, and they had houses like next to each other, Mm -hmm. like right across a a lane. And uh, the the brothers died, so the you know the widows are are still living in their their big giant houses. And uh, they would pop over to each other's 
houses around like four o'clock for their, you know, their martini. Aww. And so they actually called the, the little pathway between their houses Martini Alley. Oh, it was so cute. Sweet. They were delightful, delightful, wonderful women. I, I, you know, I met so many wonderful women throughout my mom, uh, her, her time having that salon. It was, it was, it was really great. And also it was like um, gossip central, even though she always insisted, we're not gossiping, we're discussing. It's like, okay, yeah, you can go ahead and make We're that distinction. We're discussing people behind their back <laughs> about stuff that we think they may or may not have done. Exactly. <laughs> not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. Did you hear Mary ran off with a black woman? <laughs> <laughs> oh, we had, there was an incident that happened right across from our house that we found out from my mom. Like, it mm -hmm. happened uh, at night. And I saw some of it happening. I'm not going to go into details here. I'll tell you after the show. It um, involved Mary <laughs> and a black woman. It was not. No. Um, and I say go Mary. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. You do you. Yeah. Um, or the no, black woman. We found out very quickly the next, like it was by like eight o'clock the next morning. We knew exactly what had happened. We had the whole sordid story. Oh. And it was sordid. And this is the way my sick little brain works. I don't even know these people, and I need to find out. <laughs> You're gonna find out. It's it's some it's some interesting shit. So, all right. Well, um, what's your weekend looking like? My weekend full of work, mm. full of work. I've uh, tomorrow. I have to go in not for the night shift. I have to go in from two thirty to eleven p.m. for a bullshit sales meeting. Oh, a meeting that could probably be an email. <sighs> It's it's like a sales course. Okay, it's all like right. a course. Here's how you sell more more internet packages. Mm -hmm. And I'm working the overnight shift. I take like nine calls a night. This ain't gonna benefit me one little <laughs> bit, but it keeps me off the phone, so I'm going to go. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And uh, no, just uh, gonna hit up, do some more research for whatever show we happen to do next. Yeah, haven't picked it yet, but we'll be doing that in a few minutes. Oh yeah. How about you? Anything interesting? Anything exciting? Um, well, I mean, there's all the, the grading of papers. That's super fun. Um, do what do what they did in high school. Just hand it over. Like, okay, everybody change papers. You can grade everybody else's paper. Oh God, I wish I could do that. Um, it is really like the the worst part of the job. It's just it's not that they're they're bad papers. I have a, a lot of really great writers. It's just you're reading one after the other after the other after the other. I mean, I read around on, on Wednesday. I read and graded around thirty thousand words. And there'll be more than that tomorrow because this is my bigger class. So it's I, it's a lot. I got to ask this. As a professor, mm -hmm. whenever you're grading papers, can you predict what grade you're going to give them by the student's previous behavior? Can you kind of do that little prediction? I can't answer that. <laughs> I don't, I don't That's do, a yes. I don't do the prediction mm -hmm. because I have a rubric. And it's all in the rubric. You know, um, I've had students who have, have, have not been doing well, but then they turn it around and they surprise me. Um, I've had students who are doing great and then, you know, life happens and, and, and it interferes with their work. And, you know, we've all been there and you really can't predict um, human behavior. You can't predict uh, learning. And so I, I, I basically just you are looking at me like you think I'm full of shit. I, what I'm thinking is. Boy, she's really selling this. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, and I have, I, so I have my rubric and I just, I go through and, you know, each category, you know, mm -hmm. basically, how did they do in this category? How did they do in that category? And, you know, basically, at the end, I do look at it to make sure that my rubric is, is acting correctly because I, I also feel like I do have a gut feeling about a paper, not about a student, but mm -hmm. about a paper. Once I've finished reading it, I can kind of go, okay, that's somewhere in the range of a B. 
And just to make sure that my, because if I, if not, I need to, if, if it's all wrong, I need to tweak my rubric. Um, you know, if, if it's a, a, you know, great paper and it's ending up getting a, a D for some reason, that's wrong. I need to fix things. So to be on my toes, I do look at it and compare that to what I feel the paper is after reading it. But I don't make any assumptions beforehand because they just, they always surprise me. Right they, on. They, they keep me on my toes. So there, There's your answer. And then um, Saturday night, we're going to the Tomahawks game. Our local hockey team is in the finals for the Robertson Cup. So that'll be very exciting. And then maybe... Johnstown is a huge hockey town. But yeah, we're, we're basically, uh, if you've ever seen Slapshot, uh, it's based on uh, events in Johnstown and uh, a lot of it was filmed here. So, yeah, and we were America's very first Hockeyville. Hockeyville, USA. Hockeyville, USA, number one. As as promised to us by Kraft Macaroni and Cheese. <laughs> Every year when they do the Hockeyville, I just flash back to that, like, months of texting nonstop. And, like, e I think we were emailing, too, and, like, logging into the website. We were, and calling... We were hardcore. We'd be like sitting there at the bar and everybody would be like, oh, I got to get my five votes in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> got to call my five votes in. It was, we, we were serious about getting that. Hockey, maple syrup. These are the things that are important to us. We're yep. essentially little Canada. Little Canada, <laughs> yes. So, so yeah, and then maybe uh, might actually be hitting up a little girls night at Amber's afterwards if nice. uh, the game lets out early enough and if I'm feeling up to it. So, so yeah, she was, she texted today about girls night and I was like, <laughs> so could you do a girls night at the hockey game um i'm assuming the tickets might be selling and uh. it's yeah it's in a couple of days so and I, I think uh amber has some plans with face masks involved the the the, the cosmetic like skincare kind okay, <laughs> we're, okay. we're not gonna be like <laughs> this is amber we're talking about like if, you're not wrong if amber would yell bring out the gimp mask i think everybody <laughs> would just kind of be look at each other boringly like yeah amber has gimp masks <laughs> yeah pretty much the dominatrix get up while delightful was no surprise absolutely not i think absolutely that's a not. good note to end on that is um don't forget about our contest that we're current wait i don't know when this is gonna air <laughs> We'll worry about that later. Yeah, it there's might a contest. Be. Our winner may be, <laughs> and, or it might be still be going. Yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, but keep a, a lookout for future contests. Follow us on social media. We're on uh, Facebook and Twitter, Old Timey Crimey, and uh, rate, review, subscribe. And, uh, yeah, give us some suggestions. Absolutely. We'd love suggestions for future shows and any topics we haven't thought of. Um, and we'll, we'll add them to the list. Absolutely. And give you a shout out when we do them. So, all right. Um, on that note, uh, I'm Scott. I'm Christy. And thank you for listening. See ya. See ya.